All right, today is the last, the last installment of our series on spirituality. Our three-month series on spirituality comes to an end today. The month of June, we focused on personal spirituality. The month of July, we focused on corporate spirituality. In this month, I've been developing a holistic vision for spirit fullness. And the first message in this month's series is, it was on um, uh, uh, the ecstasy of the spirit, understanding the experiential dimension of the fullness of the spirit, that there's a, a rich experiential dimension to it. But then this last Sunday, we talked about the ethics of the spirit, meaning this is how you walk when you get up off the floor and you go home. After you've had your power encounter with God, now you have to walk in the spirit. And that's what we call the ethic of the spirit. Today, we're going to focus on what I call the energy of the spirit. And when I'm talking about the energy of the spirit, I'm talking about the outflow of the divine life or the overflow of the divine life. I'm talking about what comes out of you. And we're talking about the energy of the spirit We're not talking about that which is for you. The ecstasy of the Spirit is for you. The ethics of the Spirit is for you. But the energy of the Spirit is for others. It's that work of the Spirit that flows from you, that bursts the boundaries of your personal life. And so as we shift our focus today, we're going to stop focusing on our own experience, and we're going to stop believing for God to begin to release uh, a mighty river of His Spirit from us that's going to touch the people that we come in contact with. Are you ready? You believe for this? Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you'd speak to us mightily and that you'd speak to us clearly and that you'd put it within us not just to hear and to understand but to do of your good pleasure. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading from the book of Mark, beginning at the end of verse 24, this is what it says. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, I like the New King James Version translation of this particular passage because it says a certain woman who had an issue of blood. And I went and looked at the Greek text, and the, the Greek word there means a gushing, a gushing forth, an issue, a gushing forth. This woman had been on her period for 12 years, in effect. Her issue was blood, she couldn't stop bleeding. Blood was her issue. What's yours? Your issue is whatever comes from you that you know shouldn't be coming from you. Your issue is whatever comes out of you that you don't want to come out of you. If it's coming out of you and you don't want it to come out of you and you're trying to stop it from coming out of you but you can't stop it from coming out of you, that's your issue. How many here can say, I got issues? Don't lift your hand. Don't lift your hand. Don't lift your hand. <laughs> Some of you here can think of a few people who got some issues. 
I know some folks. I'm not going to say no names. But your issue is gossip. Gossip comes out of you no matter what you do. Every time you open your mouth, gossip comes out. You can't say anything without talking bad about somebody else. You don't feel good about yourself till you put somebody else down. Your issue is gossip. You could even go on Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil and he couldn't heal you of your issue. Gossip comes out of you. comes out of you. just coming out of you. There's other folks, your issue is lying. You can't stop telling lies. Every time you open your mouth, a little lie comes out. And you, and ask, you ask yourself later, how come I can't stop lying? It's because you've got an issue. There's other of you, your issue is fear. Always afraid of something. Every time you open your mouth, you're saying, oh, I hope this doesn't happen. Oh, I hope that doesn't happen. Even good things. I hear you're getting married next week. Yeah, but I hope we don't get a divorce. <laughs> Heard you had a good checkup at the doctor. Everything looks good. Yeah, but I hope it lasts. I hope. I hope. I hope the stock market doesn't tank and I lose all my investments. I hope I don't lose my job. I hope. Every time you open your mouth, a little fear comes out. You got an issue of fear, and you're bleeding as much fear as this woman was bleeding blood. See, her issue was blood. What's yours? You got an issue, too. It's something that comes out of you that you don't want to come out of you. Some of you, your issue is anger. Every time you open your mouth, you're snapping at somebody. You can't stop snapping at people. Every time you turn around, somebody's made you mad. I was at Trader Joe's yesterday shopping for some fruit and vegetables, and I was in line, and this, and this man, and I'm not going to mention... Uh, anything about his ethnicity but this man was walking out the door and as he was walking out the door the man behind the counter said thank you sir and he said what the heck you thank me for he said thank you for shopping at trader joe's he said you better stop disrespecting me thanking me for shopping at trader joe's you think you crazy i know what you're doing i know what you're saying don't you ever talk to me like that way and the guy had to call the police on him I was in line going, what in the world? I'd never seen anybody get mad because somebody thanked them. I said, brother, you got an issue. I paid for my groceries. As I was walking out, I looked at that man. I said, don't you dare thank me for shopping here. I said, that guy was easy on you. And we had a good laugh. You ever known somebody just gets mad over nothing? Everything makes them mad. Maybe your issue is offense. Always offended. Offended by the littlest. That hurt my feelings. That hurt. You, you know what? You disrespect. You know, that hurt me when you said, every time you open your mouth, offended by something or somebody. Maybe your issue is doubt. Every time you open your mouth, God's promise might linger five minutes. You say, forget it. I knew, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it wasn't going to work. I knew God wasn't going to answer that prayer. I knew it. You know, I was listening to Joel Osteen this week, and he said, you know, now I know why God told the Israelites in Joshua's day when they were marching around Jericho for seven days. Now I know why God told them not to say a word. God told Joshua, tell them to march around in silence for six days. Once a day. And on the seventh day, march around seven days. And then when you do open your mouth, tell them not to do anything but shout and praise. You know why God did that? Because if he hadn't have told them that, they would have talked themselves right out of the victory. Can you imagine them marching around that wall and Joshua says, just talk to each other about whatever you want to talk about. They'd have been marching. What in the world are we doing out here marching around this wall? 
Does this make any sense to you? Have you ever heard of a nation overtaking another nation by marching around the wall? What is this? Huh? Are we at church? You know, what in the world is going on? And that's just day one, day two. See, I told you nothing's going to happen. Nothing happened yesterday. Nothing's going to happen today. I mean, think about it. What kind of a leader do we have? Talking about march around the wall and it's going to fall. He don't know what he's doing. We need to get Moses back. I'll tell you what, it's over for us. Ever since Moses died, that was it. If we couldn't enter into the promised land under Moses, we couldn't enter in. Third day. Now, let me, just reason with me for a second, Sam. Think about this for a second, Sam. If you sit in your car at zero miles an hour for two hours, how far will you get? Hmm? If you sit in your car for z- at zero miles an hour for six days, how far will you get? Shoot, we've been at this for three days and nothing's happening. This is ridiculous. We need a new strategy and we need a new leader. Isn't that what they did the first time? God says, it's time for you to go into the promised land. And as soon as they open their mouths, they're too big. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. We can't do it. We're not able. They're going to kill us. God brought us out here to die. God's a family. And God says, okay, cool. You want me to kill you? Fine. Be it unto you according to your faith. All of you are going to die out here in the wilderness. So God says, this time they're going in. Joshua, tell them to walk, march, march around that wall and shut up. Tell them, I don't care what they think about what you're doing. Just do it without opening their mouth. Just don't say a word. He knew some folks in that crowd had some issues with unbelief. Mm. Yeah. It just comes out of you. It comes out of you. Maybe your issue is pain. You just got to tell people how bad it is. Every time you talk to somebody, you start telling them how bad it is for you. And no matter how many times you tell, and you just think, I just got to tell one more person. <laughs> Because I'm processing. See, processing helps me. You know, there is a kind of processing that helps you, but let me tell you the kind of processing that doesn't help you, the kind of processing that didn't help you. If it hasn't helped you yet, and you've already told 27 people about your pain, telling a 28th isn't going to make it any better. Because as soon as you come around, people think, oh, Lord, we've got to hear about how bad it is. It's bad. It's bad. How you doing? Oh, bad. Oh, bad. Bad. That's why he calls us sheep. Bad. 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 She had an issue. And it says that she spent all she had going from physician to physician to physician, and it simply got worse and worse and worse. That's the problem when you have an issue. When you got an issue, no matter what you do to try to get over that issue, it just gets worse and worse. You try to get it off your chest, but the more you get it off your chest, the more comes on your chest. So stuff just be jumping on my chest. And every time I get it off my chest, it jumps on back on. And when it jumps back on, it was bigger. It's bigger now than it was the last time. Look, I just keep getting this off my chest. Will you stay off my chest? And it just keeps jumping back on and grab, just grabbing onto your chest. Some of you just walking around with a big old issue on your chest. Like a big monkey, just clinging to your clothes. No matter what she did, it just got worse and worse and worse. And then she saw Jesus, and it said when she heard about Jesus, she thought to herself, if I just touch his clothes, his clothes, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Now, why would she think that all she had to do was touch his clothes? This woman understood 
defilement. She understood that a woman on her period in ancient Israel is defiled. And if you just touch her clothes, that defilement gets on you. You're defiled for seven days. You've got to go outside the camp. She says, if what comes out of me is so powerful that all somebody has to do is touch my clothes and get it, then what comes out of him must be so powerful that if I touch his clothes, I'll get it. In other words, she knew that Jesus had an issue too. Her issue was blood. His was power. So she pushes her way through the crowd, defiling everybody. (laughs) Can you imagine how mad everybody was? (laughs) Wait a minute. When When she's telling what happened, wait a minute. Wait a second. She brushed. Oh, man, she brushed up against me. I'm defiled. Some folks stay out of church because they're in trouble. I'm not going to church. How come? Because i got to get myself together first. I don't want to bring this in here and mess up everybody else's life. No, 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 no. Forget about all that monkey shine. You need to learn how to press through the crowd to get to Jesus. Because when Jesus healed her, he not only made her clean, but he retroactively made everybody she touched clean. So watch this. She reaches through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment. The power of God comes into her body. The fountain of her bleeding is dried up, and she feels in her body that she had been healed of her suffering. And she stays there. She, t- she crawled up, crawled up, touched, and then stayed. The crowd is going around her, and Jesus takes about two, three more steps and then goes. Everybody says, what's wrong? What's wrong? Remember, he's on the way to Jairus' house because Jairus' daughter is about to die. It's urgent. Jesus, stop. Somebody touched me. His disciples are like, of course, there's 3,000 people touching you. There's a crowd. You're like a rock star. You're like a celebrity. Everywhere you go, people touch you. Look at all the people thronging around you. Will you hurry up? We got to hurry up. Jairus' daughter's about to die. He says, no, 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 no. So I got to deal with this now. Somebody touched me. You know how he knew somebody touched me? He said, I just felt power go out from my body. He said, I felt power go out of me. She had felt blood going out of her. Jesus felt power going out of him. Jesus had an issue too, but his issue was power. Amen. Let me ask you something. When people encounter you and your issue, do they get smeared with blood or with power? He said, I felt power coming out of me. I felt it going out of my body. I felt a release of power. It wasn't power in me. It was power coming out of me. It wasn't power on me. You know, a lot of times we say, I feel the power of God on me. That's wonderful. But have you ever felt the power of God coming out of you? Do you know what that's like? To feel the release of divine life coming out of you. See, that's something completely different than what we talked about two weeks ago when we talked about the ecstasy of the Spirit. The ecstasy of the Spirit is when the power of God comes in you. But the energy of the Spirit is when the power of God comes out of you. Jesus experienced the ecstasy of the Spirit in the Jordan River. When he was baptized by John, he came out, the heavens opened, the spirit descended in the form of a dove, and the father spoke from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He learned how to walk in the ethic of the spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. 
But he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, and here he's experiencing the energy of the Spirit that is the outflow of the divine life as the power of the Spirit is flowing out of him. He said, I felt power coming out of me. And you need to learn how to make a distinction between the power of God that comes out of you and the power of God that comes into you. Because the main reason why you don't pray for people and ask God to heal them is because you don't feel the power in you. And so you make the mistake of thinking the power will not come from you. Jesus was not feeling this overwhelming power of God. He simply felt it come out when it came out. He knew that there was a release of divine power. The key thing that you need to understand is that God will use you in times and circumstances when you don't think you have anything. God can do anything. He said, I felt power come out of me. Why? Because somebody touched me in faith. Isn't it funny that there's 3,000 people touching him and nothing's happening, but this woman touches him and everything changes. Why? She touched him in faith. Now, there's a lesson for us who need to receive from God in that, and that lesson is you can come to church till you're blue in the face and nothing change in your life, but you you can come in faith once and everything change in your life. You can go into your prayer closet and pray and seek the face of God for the rest of your life and nothing change. But you can go in there by faith once and reach for God and touch the hem of his garment and everything change. Nothing changes until we begin to reach out in faith. The scripture says this woman knew. She said in her heart, if I touch his clothes, I'll be healed. If I touch the hem of his garment, all I need to do is reach out and touch him. And she believed that she could and she believed it so much that she went for it. When we begin to come to that place of faith, God meets us there. God works on our behalf. God changes things in our lives. We've got to believe it and we've got to reach for it. But there's a second lesson in this. And the second lesson is this. When you begin to minister, when you go past yourself, when you get outside of yourself. See, this is the thing. Most believers in the body of Christ never get to the energy of the Spirit because we're still trying to figure out the ecstasy of the Spirit. I'm so busy trying to learn how to edify myself, how to minister to myself, how to receive from God. I don't know how to give to anybody. And when I go to church on Sunday, I go to receive. I just want to get something, get something from God. But I'm never thinking about giving it. And that's why most members of the body of Christ are so spiritually immature, because they do not take it upon themselves to give anything that they've received. We become like the Dead Sea. It receives, but it doesn't give And so nothing can live in it. It dies. But when you begin, when you make the decision to begin to minister the things of God, to receive and then go out. See, what the Sunday morning service is supposed to look like is a time of empowerment where you receive and then go out and give it all week long. You should be giving everything you've received all week long. You should be giving it. Where? In your family. At your job. In your school, you are the pastors. Listen, you need to see yourself as the pastor at your job. Say, I'm the only believer there. Good, you're the pastor there. Say, I'm the only believer in my school. Good, you're the pastor there. You need to see yourself as being divinely appointed by God to represent him in the gospel in your context, whatever your context is. And so you come to church to get empowered. But the thing you need to understand is what stops most believers from ministering the power of God is that we don't feel powerful. You just don't feel powerful. You know what I mean? Just don't feel. How many of you just wake up in the morning feeling powerful? You just wake up, you get out of bed like this. 
Oh, Lord. Oh, the spirit is so heavy on me. Anybody I touch today is going to be healed. I don't believe Jesus lived like that. I think Jesus just woke up in the morning and just woke up. Hi, Father. Good morning. I love you. I think he went out and believed. And, and because he was walking in faith, the thing is, if you're walking in faith, you open up yourself to the, to the surprising work of God. Amen. Yes. God will surprise you if your heart is open. If you're believing God to surprise you, he'll surprise you. That's right. The surprising work of God is when the Holy Spirit does something that you had no clue. Oh, wow. Oh, snap. I wasn't looking for that, but you did that? You know, I heard a story about a young man who was a Lutheran seminarian. He was a seminary student in a Lutheran seminary. He did not even believe in, like, the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, he did not believe in them, but he didn't believe believe in them. I mean, he wasn't expecting God to do stuff through him. He just, you know, believed you just teach and you do right and you learn, you study the Bible. He loved the Lord, but he went to this hospital. He, was, he had to intern there as, a, as an intern chaplain. And they told him, all you have to do is go room to room and ask the patients, can I pray for you? Is there anything you'd like to pray, me to pray for you about? And if they say yes, pray for them. And if they say no, don't pray for them. But if they say yes, ask them specifically, how do you want me to pray? What do you want me to pray so that you don't impose anything on anyone? So he went into this room where this man was paralyzed from the waist down. He had been in an accident. And his spine was broken. And he, he, hadn't, he was completely paralyzed from the waist down. And he said to the man, uh, can I pray for you? And the man said, sure. He said, what would you like me to pray? He said, I want you to pray that I'll walk today. He said, well, what? Because he was going to pray the serenity prayer. You know? Oh, God, grant me the serenity to accept the ch- things I cannot change. The courage to th- change the things I can. And the, cur- and the wisdom to know the difference. You see how faithless that prayer is? Give me the, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. There's some stuff you can't change that you should never accept. You should believe God to change what you cannot change. He was going to pray, Lord, help this man. Give him the serenity to accept the fact that he's going to be paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of his life. Give him the serenity to accept it in peace. Hmm. Doesn't that seem like a godly thing to do? Just accept, mm, Lord, give me serenity now. The man said, no, I want you to pray that I'd be, be healed. I want you to pray for me to walk. And I want you to pray that I would walk today, right now. I want you to pray that God would heal me right now. So the kid said, well, they told me to pray for what you asked, so okay. So he put his hand on his legs and he said, Lord, I just pray that you would heal this man. And then you let him walk. And all of a sudden, the guy starts shaking. And then he starts screaming. Ah! He said, what's wrong? He said, don't stop. Keep praying. What was happening was the electrical connection to all of his nerves and his legs was reconnecting. Within five minutes, the man jumped out of the wheelchair and was running and jumping and shouting around the room. He was completely healed. There's nothing in the Bible that says only charismatic believers can move in the power of God. God does not distinguish between one denomination and another. God doesn't care what you call yourself. Well, I'm a Presbyterian. We don't do that. The Holy Spirit doesn't care if you're a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Catholic. He don't care what you are. He really doesn't care. He's simply wondering, is your heart going to open to him? Are you going to allow him to work through you? Are you going to allow him to, to move on your life? You know, it's funny. I've done a lot of fellowshipping with, with between charismatics and non-charismatics, and I really want to get rid of the distinction. I really don't like the distinction at all. 
But you know what I've heard so often is is people say people say let's respect our non charismatic brothers and sisters. They don't speak in tongues, so let's not speak in tongues around them. You know, every single time I go into a mixed fellowship, they say let's respect our non charismatic brothers and sisters. Let's not speak in tongues. And I always think to myself, can they respect us at the next one? I won't speak in tongues today, but next month when we go, why don't you all respect your Pentecostal charismatic brothers and let's all speak in tongues at this meeting. (laughs) I just had to get that off my chest. (laughs) Amen. I'm back. One of the most powerful time of fellowship that I ever had was at the Vatican in Rome in 2007 at a gathering of Protestant and Catholic charismatic leaders. And uh, it was completely unexpected. So here's nuns and priests speaking in tongues and prophesying. It was one of the most powerful things. In the Vatican. In the Vatican. I was like, are you serious? Do you know that in the charismatic renewal of the 60s, the outpouring of the Spirit hit every major denomination, every major Christian movement? I mean, it hit the Catholics, it hit the, 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 it hit the Episcopals, it hit the, Pro- the Presbyterians, it hit every group. There was this move of the Spirit that just swept through. People are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, overwhelmed with the power of God. The ecstasy of the Spirit is wonderful, but the energy of the Spirit... It's what comes from you. I want you to get a new issue today. Some of you have been carrying around the wrong issue for too many years. You've been walking around with that issue of blood. I want you to leave this place today with an issue of power. I want every time you open your mouth, the power of God comes out. Every time somebody comes into your presence, what they experience is the power of God. I want people to walk away from a meeting with you not saying, every time I'm around him, i got to hear something negative about somebody. I want people to walk away from you saying, man, every time I'm around her, I just get a word from God. Every time I'm around, man, I, anxiety can't exist in this person's presence. There's too much of the power of God coming out from this person. I want my issue to be power. The power of God. The word in the Greek is dunamis. Dunamis is where we get our word dynamite from. Dunamis. He said, I felt dunamis come out from me. I felt dynamite coming out of me. I felt this, explo- I felt this outward explosion, not an inward explosion, an outward explosion. Not in my heart, but coming out of my body. I felt it coming out of me. You know, some of the times when I've seen one, some of the greatest miracles, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel the presence of God. I didn't feel the power of God. I didn't, as a matter of fact, there were times when I saw great miracles where I was thinking the whole time, ain't nothing happening tonight. Ain't nothing going to happen. Remember I told you about the leg that straightened in Indonesia at the, on that island? Didn't feel nothing. Didn't feel anything. I just heard the Holy Spirit say, the kingdom of heaven is here. And I prayed one more time, commanded the leg to straighten it, straightened up right there. Didn't feel anything. Didn't feel anything anything how many times have i not felt anything but see the thing is when you when you're around a friend or family member and they say you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm wrestling with this do you, is, is there something in you that says i gotta pray for you can i pray for you or is there something in you that draws back or maybe that that you know says makes one of those religious promises i'll pray for you i'll be sure to keep you in prayer meaning not now later if you're walking in faith it's right now let's pray right now Let's pray now. I believe God to change this situation right now. I believe God to do something right 
now. And here's the key. When you begin to minister in this way, what you'll find is that 3,000 people will touch you and nothing happens, but one woman will touch the hem of your garment and be healed. Amen. What do I mean by that? Maybe a lot of the people that you pray for and minister to are not going to touch you in faith. They're not going to be reaching for God. But you can't be discouraged because nothing happens. You can't be discouraged because you don't see something immediately change in front of your eyes. you got to just get up and pray for the next person. And keep believing, even for the one that you didn't see any change. Because a lot of times you may not see any change. I've heard testimony. It's funny. I did a, when, when I was in uh, Korea in 2010, I felt the Lord give me a word of knowledge that he wanted to heal backs, people with back problems. And, uh, you know, I was in Korea. Everybody's got a back problem in Korea. Every, every Korean has a back problem. It's those hard beds they sleep on. Those beds are like rock. In Korea, even at the hotels, like they just take a slab of cement and put a sheet over it. <laughs> and if you ask them, you say, why do you sleep on such hard beds? They say, it's good for your back. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. So I said, the Lord wants to heal back problems tonight. If you have a back problem, come to the altar. I emptied out that auditorium. There was only one or two people sitting in their seat. Every, everybody else was at the altar. Oh, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. I thought, oh, Lord, how am I going to pray for all of these people? There are hundreds of people at the altar with back problems. I said, oh, Lord. I went through the altar and laid hands on everybody and literally felt like nobody got healed. I didn't see any change in anyone. Nothing. Nothing. And I was asking them, too, because, you know, when you pray for people, you should ask them. When you pray for people to get healed, you should ask them, you know, do you feel any better? What do you feel? What do you feel? What do you feel? Is something changing? Is anything different? You need to ask. You know why we don't ask? A lot of times we don't ask. We just say, in Jesus' name, amen, I'm going to keep praying for you, and we walk away. What we're literally saying is, I really don't believe anything changed there, but, you know, I just prayed because, see, that's the spiritual thing to do. When I pray, I believe. I believe you've got to pray and believe something's going to change. And so ask, do you feel any different? Did anything change? What do you feel? Try it out. Try to do something you couldn't do before. Be careful with that. You know, I, I, I saw a preacher. I, I heard of a preacher who called everybody to the altar who was in a wheelchair. And there was a lot of people in wheelchairs in that service. And he went through snatching them out of the wheelchairs. In Jesus' name, walk. In Jesus' name, walk. And just snatching people out of weird wheelchairs. And all these people were laid out on the floor. They weren't getting healed. He had zeal, but no knowledge, no wisdom whatsoever, no wisdom. And neither do you chide people for not having any faith. You, know, you are not Jesus. You cannot say, oh, ye of little faith. And remember that Jesus said that to his disciples. You don't go into hospital, pray for somebody, and then if they don't get healed, say, you ain't got no faith. That's what the problem is. You know what? Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's true. It's not always true, but sometimes it's true. But you can't beat people up for that because you have no idea what God is doing in their lives and the progression that he's taking them on. You see, it's your job to have faith in that situation. John Wimber had a very powerful healing ministry back in the 80s and 90s. He started a movement called the Vineyard Movement. You heard of it? Some of you have, some of you haven't. John Wimber, he was a sinner before he got saved, like most of us were. 
How many here say, I wasn't a sinner before I got saved? <laughs> he got saved, and he went to church, and he said, uh, before he got saved, he just, I mean, when he got saved, he just started reading the Bible. It's a pretty good thing to do, right? You know? And he started reading about Jesus, about the miracles he worked. And because he read about Jesus and all these miracles, he expected to see it when he went to church. He was reading the life of Jesus going, wow, this is what church is like? I can't wait to go to church. And through the whole service, he was waiting for a blind person to see, a lame person to walk, a mute person to hear. And when it was over, he was so disappointed. He went to the pastor. He said, so when do we do it? Pastor said, do what? He said, when do we do the stuff? He said, the stuff? I don't know what kind of church you think this is. He said, what kind of stuff are you talking about? He said, the Jesus stuff. He said, what do you mean the Jesus stuff? He said, listen, before I came to Christ, I was out in the world, and the devil let me do all his stuff. I mean, I did the devil stuff. I did it, I, and he let me do all of it. Now that I've come to Christ, I'm going to do the Jesus stuff. They said, well, we don't do that here. So he went out and started his own church. And his philosophy of ministry was real simple. We're going to do the stuff. Doing the stuff. That was what it was all about, doing the stuff. That was, that was their mission statement, doing the stuff. <laughs> it's funny. There's, right now, there, he's dead now, but there's a website in his honor that hosts his teachings. It's called doingthestuff.com. <laughs> well, John Wimber did the stuff. I mean, folks were getting healed. You've got to read his book, Power Healing. Man, if you want to move in the power of God like that and see people healed, you've got to read his book, Power Healing. And in that book, Power Healing, he told all of these stories about, and he talked about praying for people for months and nobody getting healed and how depressed he was, but the Lord kept saying, matter of fact, he was a pastor of the church, and the Lord said, preach on healing and then pray for healing. So he's thinking, yeah, he preaches on healing and has people up and prays, nothing happens. And the next Sunday, the Lord said, preach on healing and then pray for healing. He does it every Sunday for like six months. Half his church left. Because <laughs> they're thinking every Sunday you're saying we're going to do this stuff and then you don't do it. You can't do the stuff. You're preaching the stuff, but you can't do the stuff. You obviously don't have enough anointing to cast the devil off a blade of grass. And after six months, all of a sudden, the miracles start breaking out. And the way it broke out, he went, he went to somebody's house to pray for him who had a bad cold. And he laid hands and prayed for them and then immediately began to explain why most people don't get healed. He went into this theological discussion. He said, now don't, as soon as he prayed, he said, you know, now don't be discouraged if you're not healed because, you know, some people don't get healed. It's okay, but God is still moving in your life. She jumped up, I'm healed. He says, yes, yes, that's nice, but I just need you to understand if you don't get healed. She said, no, I'm healed. He said, what? She said, I'm healed. It's all gone. He said, we got one. <laughs> He was so excited. And all of a sudden, the miracles broke out everywhere. And then pretty soon, vineyard churches start opening up all over the place. And they're doing the stuff all over the world. Doing the stuff. That's what it's about. But you know what? A lot of people came to John Wimber because of the whole concept of impartation. Impartation is I can just lay my hands on you and release to you everything I got. Can I tell you something? There is something about impartation. The power of God moves mightily through impartation. 
but it corresponds to the ecstasy of the Spirit, not the energy of the Spirit. What is imparted through impartation is the experiential awareness of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit from the experiential dimension. But the energy of the Spirit, you've got to work that out. I mean, you can't take a powerful man of God who's been walking with God for 40 years and seen miracles, signs, and wonders all around the world and think and, and been through all kinds of trials and tribulations and suffering and persecution to get it and think he can lay hands on you and you skip all of that stuff and just, just go out and start healing the sick. People would come to John Wimber all the time. Would you lay hands on me and impart to me the power to heal the sick? And he would say, how many sick people have you prayed for? Like, what do you mean? He goes, I mean in your whole life, how many sick people have you laid hands on and prayed for? They're like, I don't know, like uh, five? <laughs> Three? Zero? Zero? <laughs> he says, okay, here's what I need you to do. Go pray for a thousand people and then come talk to me. Then we'll start. After you've prayed for a thousand sick people, come back and talk to me, and then we'll start. Do you know how you learn how to release the power of God? By releasing the power of God. You got to learn on a job on this one. You got to pray every day and ask God to release His power through you. Every day I pray for God to release a whirlwind of the Spirit through me. Every day I pray, wherever I go, God, release the life of your Spirit. And secondly, you've got to resist discouragement because you look at any of the great evangelists or, or anointed men of God through history, they all had a season of dryness. Smith Wigglesworth, we talk about Smith Wigglesworth, right? Smith Wigglesworth was the guy who did, would do stupid stuff like pray for a dead person. Like he'd hear somebody would die. He did this more than once. He heard a, the lady across the street. She was 90-something years old, and she died. Let her go. No, Smith Wigglesworth got to wake her up. He goes in the house, puts the family out of the room, and locks the door. Leaves them banging on the door, and for six hours he prayed for her. And after six hours, he grabbed her, stood her up against the wall, and said, Walk in Jesus' name! And her eyes opened, and she, was, she came back to life. His own wife died, and he brought her back. And she said, you got to let me go! It's my time! She said, I was with Jesus! Not looking at you anymore. <laughs> this guy would open his meetings. He would start a service. He would, do it. he would go and do a crusade in a foreign country. And he'd get up and the first thing he would say is, some of you don't believe in God's power to heal, so I want the five worst conditions in this place to come up to this platform right now. And they would bring up the most twisted, contorted, broken people and he would lay hands on them and heal all five of them. All five of them would be completely healed. And then he'd say, okay, now I'm going to preach. And then he would preach once he demonstrated the power of God. He had that much authority, that much anointing. But did you know that he started preaching at 16 years old but didn't start seeing miracles till he was 50 years old? That from 16 to 50, he prayed and nobody got healed. And he was preaching healing and believing for healing, but nobody was getting healed. Why? Because God knew the kind of authority and power that he wanted to release through his life, and there had to be a season of preparation. See, the thing we got to understand is we keep thinking episodically. I prayed for this one thing, and it didn't happen. And you don't know that God is using that one disappointment to shape your faith, to encourage your faith, to grow you into the man or woman of God that he's created you to be. Amen. You see? And so you got to press past your comfort zone. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. 
These are, this is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture in the New Testament. All of you need to memorize it. For, so first of all, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. First thing you need to understand about the energy of the Spirit is that it does not please God. You work the works of God not to please Him, but because He's already pleased with you. The pleasure question, his favor is a free gift, benevolence. And favor and grace are the same thing. Favor is simply another way of saying grace. By grace you have been saved. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. It is unmerited. You don't deserve it. You're not saved because of your good works. You couldn't do enough good works to get yourself saved. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Even faith, which is the conduit of grace, doesn't come from you, but comes from God. It is through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So he says in verse 8, get works out of it. If you're working for your salvation, if you're working so that God will be pleased with you, stop it. He's already pleased with you. Who is he pleased with? He's pleased with those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. He please, he's pleased with those who trust Jesus for their, sacri- for their salvation, who believe in the sacrifice that he made on the cross. That's who God is pleased with. But then verse 9, but you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Amen which God himself ordained for you to walk in since before the world began. Do you know that before the world began, God opened up a book and put your name at the top of a page and just started writing? You know what he was writing? All of the works that he had ordained for you to walk in since before the world began. The good things that you're going to do, the powerful things that are going to come out of your life. See, Christianity is not about celebrity preachers. And people simply coming to sing their praises. Going to church is not, let's go see what the preacher can do and marvel. It's about you getting empowered to go out and do what only you can do. It's about you opening up the book of good works that God wrote with your name on it before the world began. It's about you discovering that book and saying, I'm going to walk in them. You say, now, what are those good works that God ordained for me to walk in since before the world began? Well, Jesus explains it in John chapter 14, verse 12. He says, He who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also. What are the works that Jesus did? He preached the kingdom. He worked miracles. He preached the kingdom. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He cleansed the leper. He preached the kingdom, and he demonstrated the kingdom. So Jesus says, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. When he says greater works than these, he's speaking quantitatively rather than qualitatively. Because none of us are going to do better than raising a guy from the dead who's been in there for four days or walking on water or turning water to wine. Or, no, we're not going to top that qualitatively. But quantitatively, there will be, a greater, there will be greater works. There will be more works than he's done. Why? Because he takes his anointing and power and gives it to all of us, to every believer. 
So if you want to know those good works that you were created for, just read the Gospels and look at the life of Jesus. You were created for that stuff. In other words, Jesus says, he who believes in me will do the stuff that I'm doing. If you believe in me, you're going to do the Jesus stuff. And greater works than these. Remember, his ministry was only three years. Yours is going to be 30 or 40 or 50 years. You're going to do the stuff in greater abundance. And then he says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. How do you define fruitfulness? Fruitfulness in the works of Jesus Christ. It's the energy of the Spirit. And God wants to release it through you. You got to know that you're powerful today. You got to know that the power of God is in you. But now it's time for the power of God to flow from you. You know, our first core value and corresponding guiding principle makes some people nervous. I shared it with some of my pastor friends, and they said, Yeah, you got to change that. Don't you teach your people that. You're going to have a mess on your hands. Our first core value is inspiration. Inspiration. When I'm talking about inspiration, I'm not just talking about great ideas. The word inspiration is a contraction of in and spirit. Inspiritation. When I'm talking about inspiration, I'm thinking of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, which says all scripture is inspired by God. Literally, God breathed. The word in the Greek, theopneustos. God breathed or God spirited. Literally, What Paul is saying there in 2 Timothy 3.16 is that Scripture came into being because God breathed on holy men of God. And they received an an, an impartation of the Spirit came in them, and they sat down and wrote, and the words they wrote were the very Word of God. The second thing that, that inspiration of Scripture means is that God breathed into the very words that they wrote so that His Spirit is not just in the ones who wrote it, but in, the, in what they wrote. That is, the Spirit of God is latent within the text. The words of Scripture are the words of God, and they are filled with the divine life, and God is ready. And then the third part of inspiration means that when you receive those words by faith, God breathes into you. He breathes into the one who receives them. That is inspiration. When, when you receive the divine word into you, and God breathes in you and when God breathes in you and makes you alive all of a sudden you feel like you got to do something that's inspiration the corresponding guiding principle that goes with it is do what the spirit tells you to do when he tells you to do it that's dangerous somebody said don't teach your people that you'll have all kind of people doing foolishness and blaming it on the Holy Spirit you know what I say yeah we might have a mess on our hands but we're going to clean up those messes and keep moving forward. Because if I don't teach my people how to hear from God and do what he says themselves, what am I doing? I shouldn't call myself a pastor. I can't keep my people safe. You know what? Growing up entails all kind of foolishness, making all kind of mistakes. But one of the reasons why people don't go deeper in the energy outflow of the spirit is because they're so afraid of being wrong. Listen, you got to get out of your, you got to get over yourself. You're going to be wrong sometimes. And that's okay. Be wrong and get corrected. But we are so emotionally fragile that if we get corrected one time, we go, forget it. Forget it. It was a Thursday Thunder service, and 
we were having a powerful altar call, and people came to the front seeking the presence of God. And I hadn't released anybody to lay hands yet. And there was just a group of people in the front, and they were lifting their hands, seeking the face of God. Sometimes no hands need to be laid because God is meeting people on his own. Sometimes laying on of hands would disrupt what the work of the Spirit is doing. And so we teach our altar workers to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing and not interrupt what the Holy Spirit is doing. To lay hands when it empowers the work of the Spirit and not when it disrupts the work of the Spirit. Well, there were people that were just receiving from the Spirit, and I looked over, and there was this young man sitting over here, 17 years old, and I saw him wrestling in his heart with something, and I didn't know what it was. About five minutes later, he walks over in front of this one lady, and she was a she was a newcomer. She had just came to the church. She was a little freaked out by what was going on. She was a little, you know, but she was lifting her hands, and she was seeking the face of God, and he walked up, and he stretched out his hand to lay it on her head, and she opened her eyes, and she did just like this. She was looking like, who are you, and what are you about to do? And I tapped him on his shoulder before his hand touched her head. I said, uh-uh, back to your seat. Mm-mm. Cut it. Uh-uh, uh-uh, Mm-mm. uh-uh. He went back to his seat, and you should have seen the way he sat down. <laughs> Looked like I had publicly executed his puppy. <laughs> After the service was over, I sat down with him, and I said, how you doing? And he broke down and just started bawling. He said, I was wrestling in my heart because I thought God told me to go lay hands on her. And I was like, no, Lord, I can't do that. I'm too scared. And he said, but God kept saying, no, you go over there and lay hands on her. I said, no, Lord, I can't do that. I'm too scared. But the Lord kept saying, you obey me. You obey me. You do it. And he said, finally, I mustered the courage. And as soon as I went to obey God, you tapped me on the shoulder and said, young man, go take your seat. That's not God. And I said, first of all, I commend you. I commend you. Because most people never press past that fear to do anything they sense God's telling them to do. You risked getting corrected to do something you felt God was telling you to do. Awesome. Wonderful. I commit. Come on, give me a dap. Give me some of that. <laughs> Secondly, that wasn't God. <laughs> it wasn't. Did you see the look on that woman's face? She was freaked out. You can't tell me the Lord told you to go freak that woman out. <laughs> I want you to go over there and just scare the dickens out of this woman. I said, thirdly, you stepped over the order of this house. We have an order in this house. Only people who have been authorized to work the altar. See, I won't have people coming to the altar being afraid that some strange person that they don't know is going to come lay hands on them at the altar. I just won't do it. You know, we had our young adults retreat, and I was on the keyboard. Pastor Christian Lee was ministering powerfully at the altar, and people were being touched by the power of God, slain in the Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and falling out under the power. And there were two women that came and stood at the door, and they were looking in, and obviously they were into it. You know, they were standing at the door like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so I'm just, you know, noticing them. And one of them all of a sudden slipped up to the altar and got on her knees and laid hands on one of our people. And I grabbed a person. I said, go over there and tell her to stop. And then go talk to those ladies and tell them, thank you so much for being willing to reach for God. But we have a protocol here. And the protocol is that only individuals who have been authorized to minister at the altar are authorized to minister at the altar. Not because we don't trust you. Not because we, we just don't know you. Amen. We just don't know you in this body. But thank you for being, you know desiring to reach for God. He went over and talked to them. It was okay. We're going to keep people safe. But see, here's the thing. We do have some protocols, like our prophetic protocol, for those of you who don't know it. I want everybody in this church to prophesy. But there's some rules. You know, first rule is no dates. 
When, when I say no dates, no, the Lord says on July 26, he's going to do such and such for you. No, no, no. Cut that out. Second rule, no mates. I really think the Lord told me she's your wife. No, don't do that. Don't do that. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Or you see somebody dating. The Lord told me to tell you she's not your wife. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. No dates, no mates. Thirdly, no direction. I sense the Lord wants you to quit your job and move to Kansas. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. No, no direction. And thirdly, no correction. The Lord says, I rebuke you because of your sin. The Lord showed me that you're in this sin, and I rebuke you for that. No, 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 no. You know what you can do? You can edify, which means to build up. Amen. If you have an encouraging word, you can say, I just feel like the Lord wants you to know that he loves you and he's got your back. You know, you can encourage anybody, anybody. You can encourage. Mm-hmm. Number two, you can exhort. You know, and what exhortation is, is strengthening somebody to, and encouraging somebody to continue doing what they're doing because they're at risk of quitting because of discouragement. So exhorting is coming alongside saying, don't quit. You're going to win this battle. You're not going to lose this battle. I'm on your side. God is on your side. You can exhort. And thirdly, you can comfort. To comfort. I know you're hurting, but God wants you to know that he's with you in the midst of your pain and in your sorrow. So to, to edify means to build up. To exhort means to stir up. And to comfort means to cover up. You can do those three things with your prophecy, but nothing else. Nothing outside of it. You know what that is? Those are the boundary lines. But you know what you got is a 100-yard football field that you can run all over. Within that 100 100 yards, you're free. But if you step outside of the boundary lines, I'm going to blow the whistle. You're out of bounds. You're out of order. We had someone who loved to come to the altar and pray for people. And and we asked him, listen, please don't come to the altar and pray for people. At the altar time, we haven't authorized you to do it. Next Sunday, at the altar, praying for people. Had to take them, sit them back down. Please don't come. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Next Sunday, back at the altar. Had to sit them down. Please don't come to the... Listen, I'm going to blow the whistle every time you step out of bounds. Just have to do it. Just have to do it. But here's something you can do. What you can do is the person sitting next to you, one of our simple protocols is the laying hands on the head. This is a sign of authority. It's not just a request for the release of power. It's a sign of authority. And so we only allow core leaders. And when I say core leaders, I'm speaking of our trustees and of our pastors, both lay pastors and associate pastors. We allow core leaders to lay hands on the head. But if you're not in that group, you know what you can do? Is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder? Always ask that question, whether it's with your friends, whether it's at church or away from church, whether it's with your friends or your family members, never, never presume to have the authority to lay hands on somebody who doesn't feel comfortable. Even myself, I'm the pastor of this church, but People who come to this altar, I'm sensing their level of comfort, especially young women. I'm sensing their level of comfort. And if they're not comfortable with me touching them, I'm not going to touch them in that way. You've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and sensitive to people because your goal is to bring them together. Amen? Amen? Amen. And so what I like to do, especially when I'm out and about, you know, is it okay if I pray for you? We were in New York, and uh, I, was, I had checked into the hotel, and I was leaving to go pick up my wife. And this woman was in the lobby, and she was limping. She had hurt her foot. I said, are you okay? She said, yeah, I fell down some stairs, and I hurt my foot. I said, could I pray for you? She said, sure. And I got on my knees. I said, is it okay if I put my hand on your foot here? She said, yes, no problem. I put my hands on her feet, and I just began to pray. I like to ask those questions because it demonstrates to people that I'm not here to violate your sense of safety. I'm here to increase it. 
and enhance it. And that's how we minister to people with wisdom and with understanding. All right. So some of us here have drunk deeply from the wells of the ecstasy of the Spirit. We understand the experiential awareness of the Spirit. Others of us here are really strong in the ethic of the Spirit. We know how to live right. We know how to walk in the Spirit even when the experience lifts. But what God wants to do is plunge us into the energy of the Spirit, the outflow of the divine life. And that energy of the Spirit begins to be released when we begin to pray. Now, here's the thing. Paul spoke to the Corinthian church, and I discovered 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, my first year of college. I didn't even know it was in the Bible. And when I discovered it, I thought, what have we been doing? We have neglected the most important part of the whole Bible. Now, most of you know me by now. Every week, whatever I preach is the most important scripture in the whole Bible. <laughs> I just got the gift of, you know, this is the most important text. This is, what I, this is one of the most powerful texts in the whole Bible. Yeah, they're all the most powerful texts in the whole Bible, right? What I discovered in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that Paul said in verse 31, earnestly desire the greater gifts. Earnestly desire the greater gifts. How many of you are desiring the gifts of the Spirit? When I'm talking about the gifts of the Spirit, I'm talking about the outflow of the divine life through you. How many of you pray that God would anoint your hands to heal the sick? When you pray for them. Do you pray that? You should pray that every day. Amen. How many of you pray for the gift of prophecy? Do you know that God commanded you to pray for the gift of prophecy? In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 1, Paul says, Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. He commanded you to pray for the gift of prophecy. You've got to begin to pray, Lord, give me the gift of prophecy. Use me to speak into somebody else's life. You've got to begin to pray Every day. Pray every day. One of the gifts I love is the gift of word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is supernatural knowledge. There's no way you could have known it in the natural. But there's supernatural knowledge. Word of knowledge can come through a prophetic word. It's suddenly you just begin to know something and you start speaking details. I, I, I know a minister who has a real powerful gift of word of knowledge with names. Like he'll call people up and say, you know, I just feel like you're like a David. And then everybody laughs. Why? Because the guy's name is David. You know, or I feel like you're a Daniel in the body of Christ. And everybody laughs because the guy's name is Daniel. You know, that's a powerful gift. You know what it does? It's a sign that God knows you, that God is with you. I was just ministering at this retreat down in Southern California last weekend, and they asked me to pray and prophesy over all 60 of their leaders. And I, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of time. They said, you got 30 minutes to do it. Now, how do you prophesy over 60 individuals in 30 minutes? You know what I said? I said, Lord, whatever comes to my mind, I'm just going to assume it's from you. I'm just going to believe it's from you. And if I get, need to get corrected, I'll get corrected later. In other words, I'm not afraid to make a mistake. See, this is the thing. You can't be afraid to make a mistake. You've got to get over yourself. You know how many times I've humiliated myself prophetically in front of large groups of people? You just get up and keep going. Whoops, that wasn't God. Let's keep reaching. But here's the thing. If you allow yourself to be stopped in the meeting the night before this happened, I had two words of knowledge, one for a, a young lady named Samantha and the other for a young man named Tony. This was an all-Korean gathering, all Koreans, right? So I thought, okay, I can see a young lady named Samantha being there, but I can't see a Tony. How many of you ever met a Korean named Tony? You know any Tonys? Sam? No? You know any Tonys? Koreans? I never met a Korean Tony. I mean, Koreans don't, I mean, that's, Tony? No. 
And so I thought, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Okay, all right. So I thought, I'll go for Samantha first because that's safe. So in the service, I said, where's Samantha at? Samantha, where you at? Samantha? Samantha, get up here right now. Don't you do this to me. There was no Samantha in the house. Does anybody know somebody named Samantha? Anybody know somebody who knows somebody named Samantha? How about Sam? Maybe it's a word for Sam. Now, that's a good Korean name. There's a lot of Korean guys named Sam. If I had called out Sam, probably five, where's Sam at? Fifteen people in the room would have raised their hands. But it was Samantha. It was a girl named Samantha. I was so demoralized by that that I didn't even mention Tony. I thought, I can't handle any more of this. After the service was over, this young man walks up to me and says, Pastor Benjamin, my name is Tony, and I just want you to know. I was like, what did you say your name is? My name is Tony. He's like, oh, Lord, I repent. So now I've got to minister to all these leaders. We want you to prophesy over all 60 of these leaders. We heard you move in prophecy. Isn't that wrong that they just do that to you at other churches? <laughs> prophesy over everybody. So I said, Lord, I'm just going to speak whatever comes to my mind. I mean, if it comes to my head, I'm going to assume it's from you. So take over everything that happens in my head right now. Amen. I went to the first person, and I see this. And, I see, and everybody I spoke, everybody went, oh, oh, oh. I was like, whoa, what happened? They're like, that's exactly what's going on in her life. That's exactly what's going on in his life. I got to one young lady, and I said, I see you in an arena, and you're running. You're running. You're like, in a, you're like a, a, an, an athlete in an arena. You're running this race. You're running this race, but you're tempted to quit. And, and you're constantly tempted to quit. And I see sometimes you stop, but then you jump back in, and you stop, but then you jump back in. And I spoke this word. It's a very general word, right? And I said, and everybody's going, amen, amen, amen. I said, and this applies to your education, your schooling. And everybody fell out. And she told me afterwards, she said, I'm 26 years old. I haven't finished my BA yet. And my family is, everybody is saying, you've got to get back in there and finish. She said, every time I jump in, I do like a quarter or something, then I quit again. I do a quarter. I'm like, do I need this? She said, I've been saying, God, do you want me to do this? Do I need this? Am I supposed to do it? And you spoke right to it. Praise God. But the point I'm making, the reason I told you that story is had I allowed myself to be permanently demoralized because of one failure the night before, I wouldn't have even reached for that place. What I'm saying is you have to take some chances. The most powerful thing, decision you could make is, I'm not going to be afraid to be rebuked. I'm going to step out in faith. And if I get rebuked and even seek a rebuking, this is what I did. Was that right? This is what I did with my cousin, with my family member. This is what I did on the street. Was this right? That's called covering. I was ministering in this place. Was that, was that okay? I was doing this here. Was that okay? That's called covering. Amen. Why? Because I want to get better. Doc Searle used to do that for me all the time. I would go out in the street and minister. I'd come back and say, okay, I was trying to share the gospel with this person, but she said this and I said this. Was that right? And he would just laugh and say, no. <laughs> no, that wasn't right. Not at all. And then he would share what the right thing was. It was in light. I was, oh, great. It's wonderful to be corrected. Why? Because I'm not going to do it that way again. I'm going to do it better, and I'm not left to myself to figure out how to do it on my own. So I'm going to give all of you an assignment. You want to enter into the energy of the Spirit? How many say, I want to enter into the energy of the Spirit? Lift your hand. I want to see God move powerfully through my life. I want to see the sick healed. I want to see the dead raised. Okay, so you got homework assignment. Go pray for a thousand sick people. 
in the next week. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. No. But just make it a point every week to do something that you don't normally do. You know what I used to do? I used to just go to the hospital and just go into the waiting room. Go to any hospital, any emergency room and say, uh, can I pray for you? Are you okay? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Go two by two. Share the gospel with somebody during the week. You want God to give you more? You've got you to start an outflow. Start giving it out. Believe God to work miracles through you. Believe God. You know, some people that ask me all the time, I'm just going to end with this. I know I've been talking a long time. i got the gift of gab. But, <laughs> um, I'm going to say this last thing, and I'm going to let you out of here. Um, a lot of people ask me. See, we got a team in Indonesia right now. Last fall, we went to Indonesia. We did an open-air crusade there with 8,000 people. And uh, the team went two weeks before I did. And, you know, they were, they were talking me up. Pastor Benjamin's coming from California, and there's going to be this powerful thing. And They had banners with my face up on, you know, all through the city. And everywhere you went, there was banners of me. When I finally got there and I was just walking around, people thought I was a celebrity. People, I'd walk into a grocery store, and everybody would run and start taking pictures of me and asking if they could take pictures of me. I thought, what in the world is going on? Because the team had gone in, to every village in that entire region. Yes, you can come to the keyboard. They, they'd come and just cover that region, and they said, Pastor Benjamin's coming. But you know what's interesting? The team saw more miracles before I got there than I did when I got there. Because everywhere the team went, they prayed for the sick in every village. I mean, they were the real rock stars. I came in and preached a couple nights, and there were some miracles and some cool stuff happened. It was nice. But our team, man, the stuff they saw, they saw blind eyes open. And they got it on film. You know, they saw people getting delivered from demons. Just in the villages, in the little churches they went, they saw all of this stuff. These are just our team. These are just random members of our church. Some of them are sitting around you right now, and you have no idea who they are. You have no clue who you're sitting next to. And you have no clue who's sitting next to you. You've got to meditate on that one. <laughs> oh. That would even confuse me. <laughs> Sometimes I get so deep, I confuse myself. <laughs> Woo! People ask me, how come we go overseas, we see all kinds of miracles? And how come our people don't see miracles here? And I used to have all kinds of answers about that. Well, it has to do with the over-intellectualism. You know, America is so rational and intellectual that there's no room for the move of the Spirit. Whereas you go to the third world and there's a huge openness to the Spirit. You know, I think that's ridiculous. You know why our, our people see more miracles in Indonesia than they do here? Because they actually pray for people in Indonesia. In Indonesia, they go pray for the sick. If we would begin to do it, we'd begin to see it. And every Sunday, you know, it would be wonderful if all of you went out and worked miracles and led people to Christ, changed people's lives, and then came back on Sunday and reported. If we just had a reporting time in the middle of the service where somebody would come up during worship and say, just want to share on Wednesday, I was on BART, and the guy next to me had a broken leg, and I laid hands on him and prayed for his leg and ministered to him. God healed his leg right there, and he broke the cast off right there and started running and jumping. He was completely healed. That sound ridiculous? 
To me, that's the kind of stuff Jesus would do. Well, Jesus lives in you. Let him do his stuff through you. You got to begin to believe. You need to get a greater vision for what Christ can do through you on a daily basis. Amen. Let's pray. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to do something a little different. Not going to do an altar call because I already told you that the, the energy of the Spirit is not released through impartation. Number one, it starts when you pray, when you ask God for it. And when you make a commitment to ask God for it on a daily basis. Number two, when you take a chance, when you step outside of your comfort zone, when you begin to take chances. And then number three, when you make a decision that you're not going to be afraid of correction. That even if you're corrected for doing it wrong, you're going to believe that you're going to do it right. And you're going to get up and do it again. What I want today is for you to begin to pray right in your seat, right where you are. Nobody's laying hands on you and releasing anything. It's already in you. It's already in you. I want you to begin to pray right now that God would release through you the energy of the Spirit in your life, wherever you are, that you begin to see the stuff. That God would put it in you to believe for Him to do great and mighty works through you. I want you just to begin to pray out loud. According to 1 Corinthians 12, 31, earnestly desire the greater gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, follow after love and desire spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. Ask him for the gift of prophecy. Ask him for the gift of healing. Ask him for the gift of faith. Ask him for the gift of miracles, the gift of word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, tongues, prophecy, interpretation of tongues. Ask him, ask him. Just take a few minutes right now and just begin to pray that. Work through me, God. Work through me. Just begin to ask him, work through me. Now, second, ask the Lord to give you wisdom for stepping out of your comfort zone. There's a step you can take this week outside of your comfort zone to do something. You know right now a sick person, you can go to their house and pray for them, one of your friends, one of your family members. Ask the Lord right now. Ask him to show you. Just begin to pray.
And then finally, just begin to pray that God would give you the boldness not to be afraid of correction. Make a decision now. You're going to reach for correction. You're going to receive it. You're going to use it to grow. You're not going to be discouraged if you do it wrong, if you get it wrong. You're going to get up and do it again. Yes, God. Yes, God. Father, I just pray for the energy of the Spirit to be released through everyone, through every son and every daughter of yours, that there be a mighty release of the Holy Spirit. I declare that the Spirit of God rests upon each one. Each one of these sons and daughters of yours has been endued with power from on high. God, let there be a release of that power. Let there be a release of that power. Let there be a release of that power. Wherever we go, God, wherever we go, wherever we go, I pray it in Jesus' name. And I give you the glory for it. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Can you do that? One last thing I want to say. I I started telling the story about praying for backs in Korea, and I never finished the story. I do that all the time, don't I? Anyway, uh, I didn't see anything happen right then, but uh, just this year I started hearing testimonies of people who were healed in that line, and they didn't know they were healed right then. But they saw that over the weeks after that, their condition improved and improved and improved and improved and improved until all of the pain went away. And so what I'm saying is you might pray for somebody and see no sign of improvement now, but they might find their healing in a week or two weeks. They might look back and say, I did get healed that moment when you prayed for me. I just didn't know it. So just begin to believe and reach. Amen? Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed.